0: I was heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful privilege to gather together as family in the unity of the faith. Father, thank you always for your grace and your love and your compassion on us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to spread such spiritual wealth to others so that they might. Come to know your son and be brothers and sisters with us forever and ever, Father, thank you for the inspired word of God, the very bread of life. Most of all, thank you for sending your son, the word himself, to die on a cross in our stead. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace they were prepared. Uh, From Tuesday's lesson, just some additional wisdom, uh, good wisdom on weakness. On the topic of weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11 is in view. Weaknesses are good because they cause us to turn to the Lord, to rely on Him and His power and grace Rather than our own. Is that not divinely good? When that happens to us, when we realize that we are weak, that in our weaknesses, uh, that's when we are strong, as Paul would say. So isn't it good to be helped in getting out of the way? Because we're our biggest, and we can, you know, I always get a kick out of that because everybody likes to say, oh, Satan. It was Satan. And it's like, no, it wasn't. It was you. (laughs) Your flesh is worse. I mean, Satan doesn't spend time with you. He's got bigger fish to fry. It's you. It's your stinking flesh. And if you can just get out of your own way, uh, life would be a lot easier for all of us. (laughs) So, (laughs) as Scott said on Tuesday, so thanks to God is in order. Thank you, God, for, for helping me get out of my own way. I'm just this wretch of an individual. So we embrace our weaknesses. And that's what Paul was saying uh, in truth. So this is sound wisdom from a godly perspective on the topic of weaknesses. And I was thinking about it in the context of Sunday's lesson and Tuesday evening's lesson. Things such as, we, you know, we, we talk about weaknesses. And I think and I'm biased because I'm a man and so you know strength to a man is you know physical or some kind of a you know power let's say in in the society that we live in but when we're talking about these kinds of things these kinds of weaknesses um it's things like unforgiveness that's a real weakness and you can be a 350 pound lineman for the patriots and still be very weak. So when we're talking about weaknesses, we're talking about such things as unforgiveness, uh, weakness and judging others. I mean, how many of us judge as a habit? How about jealousy? How about envy? How about causing strife? I mean, some people just like to stir the pot and then leave the room, and they get a kick out of it. I don't get it, but people do it. How about coveting? How about doubting? And the list goes on and on. And so there's a whole litany, if you would, a list of um, weaknesses that are real. These are the real weaknesses. However, the world tries to focus our attention on human weaknesses, such as, you know, a lack of strength or a lack of intellect or a lack of social skills, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, And it tells us that those are the real weaknesses that as long as you have strength, intellect, social skills, et cetera, you're doing okay. What, the, what we need to understand is that the weaknesses that are in the Bible, they're on a different plane. And this is how a, an extroverted, seven-foot-tall Ph.D. in astrophysics can be by far the weakest person in a room. And oddly enough, the world has fostered this weakness in him or her because it never suggests that he or she is anything but super strong. So if you're seven foot tall, you know, you're outgoing and you're, you have a Ph.D. in some advanced science or something, you know, you're really smart, in other words, the world will never suggest that you're not strong. The world will literally do just the opposite. It'll... Um, The world will covet you even because of, you know, what it perceives as strengths in you. And I think we can get caught up in that. That's the point that the Spirit's making here at the outset. I think we can all, (coughs) excuse me, get caught up in such things. And that's the basis of all lies that have their roots in the father of lies, the devil himself. That we are strong when we're not, when we're actually weak, when we should recognize our weaknesses. uh, He'll convince us, in other words, that we're strong. And think about it this way. If Satan were here right now, he'd want to seduce you. Excuse me, I got something in my throat. If Satan were here right now, he would want to seduce you. And he'd be so good at it that you'd hardly know he was even even doing it. He would maybe just drop a little hint here, a little compliment there, a little sprinkle of flattery over there. And talk just I don't know if he'd talk like that, but <laughs> probably be creeped out if he did, right? You guys are like, Oh, that guy's creepy. <laughs> be looking to be a buddy for a save, you know. So he would want to seduce you, and he'd be so good at it, guys and girls, that you wouldn't even know it. You'd be in the clutch of his hand and you wouldn't even know it. In fact, as is typically the case, unless you're Jesus or Job, etc., Satan's not going to seduce you personally. So when I say Satan, I'm talking about his delegates as well. He's going to use those closest to you as his agents. The ones you've already, excuse me, granted access to the inner sanctums of your soul. He's not stupid. He knows how to get to you. Some of you have iron shields. You have, you know, gold-plated armor, titanium armor. But that's not where the attacks come. The attacks come from the soft underbelly that the ones that you are close to get access to. And so Satan's not stupid. He will infiltrate you from one, two, three or more degrees out. He's going to find a way to get to you personally. He's going to find a way to the inner sanctums of your soul. And so that's one of the things that the Spirit's been teaching us is that we have to, it's not that we become untrustworthy of those that we love. We just have to be expectant of the flesh of those we love because we do grant access to those we love and our guard is set down and because of that we're vulnerable so also i was thinking about this uh, in the case of churches even even a church like this one this is a lovely church we have a wonderful family here but it's not perfect he'll use one member to seduce another That's why I'm always on high alert whenever a new person comes into the church. I really am. You may not see it in me, but I am. Whenever a new person walks into this church, I'm on very high alert. All for your sakes, as well as theirs. Because they're not the only weak people. You are as well. So, I mean, I love the idea of new people, but I want to ensure that they are not going to cause any disturbances or even be disturbed by others in any way that either party stumbles. So, my eyes are always open, as should yours be. And by the way, when I use the term seduce, I'm not just talking about in romantic ways. That's obviously uh, a principal uh, concern, but that's not all I'm talking about. I'm not talking about seducing romantically. I'm talking about all evil. I'm talking about someone walking in here and having a seat at the table because of maybe some human strengths, And you guys start listening to them. And the next thing I see, you're not here anymore. Or all of a sudden you have problems in your life, or you're you're miserable. Why? Because you started hanging around with someone that's evil, that's been seducing you. Oh, but they come to church. I know. They need to stay in church and learn a few things before they start corrupting everybody else around them. Or vice versa. How do I know? Maybe you're corrupting them. Maybe you see... You know, a cute little girl come in and you like, pounce. I don't know. Could be in systems of thinking, or judging, or slandering, or causing divisions, etc. I don't know. There's a whole host of things that weaknesses bear fruit in a church like this. So Paul guarded against such things. Go to Romans 16, verse 17. Romans 16, 17. And so the Spirit has had an awful lot to say about these things. Romans 16, verse 17. Be careful who you keep company with. Um, Keep track of your uh, sense of peace before and after your interactions with certain people. Maybe... Certain people in your life, you love them. You really do, hands down, care a lot about them, but every time you interact with them, you walk away miserable. And, you, and you're not really getting it yet. And so you have to temper your time with that person. You might say, but I'm trying to... You know, you get your Superman cape on. I'm trying to save them. And, I, you know, in, in, in your saving, you end up drowning. You know, because they're like one of these people grabbing and pushing you under, and you're drowning, you're trying to help them. That happens a lot as well. And the Lord's saying, watch out for that stuff, because you're not meant to drown. Nowhere does it say that you're supposed to drown in the process of helping another person. Maybe, maybe you need to let go sometimes and let God take care of that person. So Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, what? Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. Now there's context there, but you get the general principle. What is Paul saying? He's saying keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. And so we're going to spend a little time on this this evening before we get back to our primary course of study. Up here on the board, first, the Spirit wants to bring out verse 18, for such men are slaves of their own appetites. Up here on the board, this refers to individuals who are acting on fleshly instincts to satisfy their own self-interests. They are driven by their desire to please themselves, they are what we can rightly call selfish lovers. Again, these are individuals that are slaves of their own appetites, their own self-gratification, if you would. These refer, this refers to individuals who are acting on fleshly instincts to satisfy their own self-interest. They are driven by their desire to please themselves. They are selfish lovers. And we shouldn't miss the other part of this grotesque scene, either which is how they go about satisfying their own appetites. They do, as Paul wrote up here on the board in Galatians 5.15, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. In other words, be careful. You can consume one another. Look at verse 18 again. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus, our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. As we just noted in our previous point on the board, these people are driven by their own selfishness. They are not in this, quote, game for you. They are slaves themselves, slaves of unrighteousness. That harkens back to Romans 6 in the same book, But because you're, you're either a slave of righteousness or a slave of unrighteousness. And these individuals are slaves of unrighteousness, fulfilling their own appetites, their own self-desires. And um, so, again, as we just noted in our previous point, these people are driven by their own selfishness. Like all of our enemies, they are selfish lovers. They love self, not us, regardless of what comes out of their mouth. Think about it. You know, uh, the Bible describes evil or even Satan. You know, his words are smooth as butter, smooth as oil. So what's coming out of his mouth is not necessarily what's in his heart. I know there's passages that say otherwise, but it's contextual. So you have to be careful of what people are saying to you. Your enemies are going to lie to you. Typically, we receive lies how? Out of someone's mouth. And so they're going to try to seduce you when you're weak. So like all of our enemies, they are selfish lovers. They love self, not us, regardless of what comes out of their mouth. As the psalmist says, hold your thumb there, go to Psalm 5.8. Psalm 5.8. So I hope you see what the Spirit's trying to say at the start of class here. He's just trying to get you into the right mode of thinking. How to guard yourself, what to be aware of, some additional perspective. That hopefully will become wisdom in your own soul. Psalm 5.8. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Now, you see that in verse 9? There is nothing reliable in what they say. In other words, (laughs) what's coming out of their mouth doesn't match uh, their heart, so to speak. You can't rely on what they're saying because they're going to lie to you. That's what a lie is. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with the tongue. Why? Because they have an agenda. All right, go back to Romans 16, 18, where we see individuals with a selfish agenda. They are slaves, a selfish agenda. They are slaves to their own appetites, their own self-gratification, their own selfishness. That's what makes them selfish lovers because they love themselves. They love their own appetites more than they love anything about you or doing anything for you. Verse 18, For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and now we get to the second point. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So this is the how. Let's now turn our attention to the last part of this verse, then. What do you see? Again, by their, sp- their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. What we see is that selfish lovers don't go after the strong or the wise. Now, think about that for a moment. Selfish lovers don't go after the strong or the wise. In fact, they specifically target the hearts of the what? Unsuspecting. An unwise person, a weak person, is unsuspecting. Maybe the full armor of God is all either absent or only partially there or chinked up, who knows? but these selfish lovers are at least smart enough, shrewd enough, to go after the weak. Isn't that what wolves do with the flock? They don't go after the, the, the big males in that in the, the, are smart enough to stay in the group. They go after the ones that are weak and stuck in the thicket, or straggling off, or the ones that can't keep up or have gotten lost. That's the same thing. That's why the analogy holds true for all of us. So. Just think about this. Selfish lovers don't go after the strong or the wise. And remember, I'm not talking about, you know, this. Sorry about that, because, you know. I'm not talking about... <laughs> I almost ripped my shirt. I was like, whoa, whoa. No, you know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about an imposing individual. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about bravado. I'm talking about an individual who is weak. It has nothing to do with a person's physical presence or their intellectual presence. It has everything to do with a shrewd individual being able to see real weakness in another individual. They may actually use a person's affect as flattering speech to get an uh, an entree or, if you would, an entrance into the, the soft underbelly. But what they're really after is what they see, which is a soft underbelly because that's the prospect you see it's a lot easier to manipulate and control an individual that is weak and so selfish lovers they don't go after the strong or the wise they specifically target the hearts of the unsuspecting that's what's in the word of god my friends up here on the board the hearts of the unsuspecting it sounds so grotesque doesn't it it's just so gross it's like a big you know a big bully picking on a i don't know just gross refers to those individuals who may lack the wisdom, and therefore the armor, a la Ephesians 6.11, to properly defend themselves. Selfish lovers are weak, and so they target the weak. They say all the right things to gain their advantage. Why? Because they have a huge appetite. And you know what they're a slave to? Their appetite. They're addicted to their own appetite. They're addicted to the self-life and they want their next fix, so to speak. And you, my friend, are just a speed bump. And if they see a weakness in you, they say, this is going to be an efficient kill. I'm going to railroad you. I'll flatter you and I'll say all the right things to gain entrance. But I'm going to use you and abuse you for my own purposes. That's Satan in a nutshell. And what's Satan? The father of lies. So there's no scruples. So you've got to be careful you're not one of the people that has a heart that's unsuspecting. <laughs> you have to be on guard. So this hearts of the unsuspecting refers to those individuals who may lack the wisdom and therefore the armor to properly defend themselves. Selfish lovers are weak and so they target the weak. They say all the right things to gain their advantage. And I was thinking about this as well. I invite you to think along. I see this in uh, marriages all the time. Uh, potential marriages, future marriages, you know, how people choose their so-called mates, this kind of a thing. For example, when i I'm sorry, ladies, but this is the spirit speaking. I'm not really sorry, but... When a feminist-type woman decides to seduce and marry a weak man, how often do we see that now? When a feminist, a controlling-type woman decides to seduce and marry a weak man, my first question is why would any woman want a weak man as their husband? That's a huge question. That's the question. Why would any woman want a weak man for their husband? The answer is that no godly woman is looking for a weak man. No godly woman isn't. Only an ungodly woman, or only ungodly women, are looking for weak men. Why? So that they can be in charge, of course. To shuka That's the easiest way to be in charge. Marry an idiot. Marry a wimp. It's why, if you're, you know, it's not hard to do because as soon as you get Joe Bravado, oh, you're so big and handsome and strong and you're so this. And meanwhile, she's like, (laughs) but you're really weak and I'm just, I'm just got you by the nose. And you see these giants of men, being held, carried around with this little rope, this little shoestring around his nose, and she's like, "Let's go, let's go," and he's like, <laughs> and he's huge, right? And he might even be really smart and good-looking, and I don't know, rich, whatever, you know, whatever the world esteems, which is ridiculousness. And she's she's uh, lead him around. It's pathetic. Why would a woman want that? Why would any woman? Why would any godly woman want a weak man like that? Isn't it obvious? (laughs) It's why, if you're a strong man, Tashuka women can't stand being around you. They'll feign politeness, but it won't take long for a strong godly man to sense their distaste for you. Weak men are too unwise to see what's coming, and many of them marry these vipers because they've been sold a bill of goods that's really a lie. Or even worse, they willingly hand over their authority, which is really grotesque, because they really just wanted another mummy to take care of them. They don't want any real responsibility, which is a whole nother story. So it's not just these, I'm not trying to just demonize women, because the men, I mean, geez, what's wrong with you people? So these weak men possess what Paul calls, again, up here on the board, hearts, of the unsuspecting. A lot of these guys get broadsided, and they find out a year, two, ten years later, what the heck did I just marry? So it refers to those individuals who may lack the wisdom, and therefore the armor, to properly defend themselves. Selfish lovers are weak, and so they target the weak. They say all the right things to gain their advantage. So, all of this, it wasn't hyper-focused on marriage. Marriage is a perfect example, so we study it out. Just beware, my friends. Of your own unsuspecting heart just beware that's the spirits and stop and beware that you're not the pr- the predator either but mostly he's saying at least at this juncture beware of your own unsuspecting heart i know i can t- i'll take pause right now i'm going to tell you this straight up i mean i name mean, this with every fiber of my soul you and me are under severe attack some of you don't even you're like what are you talking about no You don't see it yet. I'm always out in front of you. You are under severe attack. I'm actually telling people proactively, be careful, you are under attack. Some of the decisions you've decided to make, some of the things you're starting to think about doing, all this kind of stuff, they are attacks from the kingdom of darkness. And you're being roped in, and you don't even get it yet. And it might, for some of you, you might be like, ah, crap, I should have listened. All I can tell you Is this entire church is under severe attack, and the fact that some of you don't know it, it makes it even worse, doesn't it? Either I'm on crack, which I'm not. Some days I'd like to be. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm just kidding. You don't even do crack there, as far as I know. Goes to show. I don't know what I'm doing. Right? You know what I'm saying? Look, if if you don't know what I'm saying, if that's like mystery to you, you have all the more reason to be a little bit concerned, to open your eyes. Because I do have discernment on those things. I'm telling you right now, everybody in here, as far as I know, is under attack somewhere or another. Just be careful. It doesn't mean we can't navigate the waters. It doesn't mean we're not going to survive it. It just means that you're going to have to be on extra alert. It just means what he's been saying for months now. If you don't have that peace that Jesus Christ himself promised you, it's because there's something else you're not aware of. It could be people. It could be circumstances. It could be some of the choices you've made. And they're getting progressively worse. And some of you are blaming Satan. Oh, Satan's after me. It's not Satan. It's your own lack of wisdom and your lack of awareness. It's your own unsuspecting heart. Do you understand? So just beware. Beware. So that's my little side thing. I've been meaning to say that for a while now because I see it. And I don't see it getting easier. I see it getting harder, frankly. So you guys are all, you know, all poor Frank. What if he goes to home and be the Lord? You don't have to do it anymore. I'm just saying. Promotion for him. Frank's probably like, what are you talking? Frank's listening right now. I said, dude, you already wrote me off. <laughs> We're praying for you, Frank. You know, Lord's will be done. I'm just saying, you know. 2 Peter 2.19, before I get myself in trouble. <laughs> For by what a man is overcome, by this is he is enslaved. That's the warning. Be careful what you're overcome by. Be careful that your unsuspecting heart is not overrun by your friends, by your coworkers, by w- media, whatever's getting into your soul, whatever you're letting on the inside of the armor, thinking it's, you know, okay. By that, you will be enslaved if it's no good. If you're infatuated with the wiles of a selfish lover, then it's only a matter of time that you will be a slave to that person. And remember, I can't stress this enough, uh, especially... It seems young people, and I don't mean to target you, but it seems disproportionately targeted towards young, younger people because it's just an experience issue. Any person who's trying to take you away from the love of God is an enemy of God. Any person who's trying to take you away from the love of God is an enemy of God. It doesn't matter if you think you, you know, but I love them. It doesn't matter if you think you love them or not. That's not the point. Go to 2 Corinthians 6.14. 2 Corinthians 6.14. But they're my best friend. Yeah, but they don't like Christ. They're an enemy of Christ. Um, You're going to have to choose at some point who you're listening to. 2 Corinthians 6.14. I mean, who has your best interests in mind? That's the big question. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Yeah. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. That means don't be a friend with them. They they don't like Jesus Christ. Just think about that. How How do you fellowship with that? The, the baffling one for me now as a saved individual is how do you fall in love with someone that doesn't love christ honest to goodness like how what do, what is it that you're looking at honest to goodness the only thing i can come up with the best explanation i've come up with is you are a selfish lover because maybe they're hot or maybe they got something that's attractive that's really attractive to you so what what is attractive about them if they don't love christ i mean what are they what's attractive about them they're dead spiritually what is attractive the most attractive thing about tammy to me is that she loves christ more than she loves me great that's what i mean how what are are you supposed to look for you know even a friend never mind a spouse or a romantic relationship what are you supposed to look for i mean what do you actually see in another person if they're an unbeliever there's no light. So what are you looking at then? If it's not light, what is it that you're looking at? Darkness? And that's, your, that's what you're lusting after? The darkness of that person's flesh? Do you understand? Those are selfish lovers. Again, what's the Spirit saying? Beware. Any person who's trying to take you away from the love of God is an enemy of God. So remember a principle from this past week also. Our enemies will try to control us by lying to us about God. Yeah, you stop fellowshipping with these individuals, they lie to you. It may sound, you know, good or even morally correct by world standards, but they're lying. They're living a lie themselves. So our enemies that are slaves to their own appetites, because if they're not saved even, let's say, the only thing controlling them is the flesh. And the flesh is literally the most selfish person you know. (laughs) So our enemies will try to control us by lying to us about God. The one thing the Spirit's been impressing upon us is up here on the board, God's love must never be absent from any part of our lives. We saw scripture on this. On Tuesday, love never fails, 1 Corinthians 13:8, and let all that you do be done in love. 1 Corinthians 16 14. Let's pick up where we left off on Sunday. Go to Galatians 4:16. Galatians 4:16. I hope you see what the Spirit's saying. It's not Pastor Ed trying to come down on you. He's really doing you a favor. He's saying, open your eyes. Open your eyes. We're all under attack. And Satan knows a group of this level of maturity is not one to hit straight on. We've seen it all. We've seen it all already. You see, we go, ah, it's not a big deal, does We see it, uh, whatever, another attack, big deal. He's going to come from this way or behind when you're not looking. He's not stupid. Galatians 4, 16. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Some of you are like, oh man, I'm sick and tired of this guy. I don't know. I don't really care. That's not my job. I'm doing my job. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? By telling you to open up your eyes? By telling you the truth about the way the world works as far as the Bible is concerned? What does the Bible have to say about unsuspecting hearts and slavery to one's own appetites? What does it say about fellowshipping with unbelievers? What does it say about being a friend of the world, therefore being an enemy of God? What does it say about those things? Those aren't my words. Everything I just said is in the Bible. Almost word for word, by the way. Galatians 4.16, so have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, Commendably, these evil people, you see. They eagerly seek you. You might even get more attention. I'll go out on a limb. You're going to get more attention from the world than you ever will from me. I might give you a phone call or a text or something to try to encourage you once in a blue moon. But I haven't got the time. But the world, and I do seek you commendably among other people in your life, I'm sure. But the people in the world, they're going to eagerly seek you. You're going to be more popular to them than you're going to perceive you are to me, which is not true, but that's the lie. You see, I love you more than those people at church. They're not here with you right now, are they? They're not mugging up with you right now, are they? They're not doing this with you. They're not taking care of you. You know, they're not helping you out in a business situation, are they? They're not doing any of this stuff, are they? You never hear from them. They don't love you. I love you. No. That's the lie. They don't love you. They love themselves, and they're trying to get ahead for themselves. Do you understand? And they'll do whatever it takes to get ahead for themselves because they have a huge appetite, and they're selfish lovers. You are a tool to them. You are a pawn. So I have become your enemy by telling you the truth. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that they will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. Just like the Spirit's doing with you right now. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ, your great shepherd, is doing right at this moment. He is commendably seeking you. He's pouring out his word into your soul. And he's saying, you see, I love you. Don't listen to the lies. I love you. I love you so much, I'm washing over you right now. I'm cleansing you from that ridiculous day you had. The one you contributed to, effectively. It's good to be sought that way. And not only when I am present with you, so said Paul in context there. Up here on the board, though, eagerly sought in a commendable manner. You don't want to be sought any other way. A godly person courts others to Christ or self in marriage. Those are the two functional ways that we court someone. Hey, how about Christ? You see the light in me? Do you like what you see? Come to Christ. And then in you know, in the ultimate You know, in a marriage sense, that's the only reason anybody should be courting another person. An ungodly person seduces others away from Christ. And then this one's for you, DJ. It's all about control, isn't it? (laughs) Kathy thinks it's funny too, because we've had so many conversations about this, it's hilarious. It's all about control. We're sick. We all we want to control everybody. That's not commendable. If someone's someone's, um, seeking you to control you for the sake, for the purpose of controlling you, um, that's not commendable at all. A commendable person wants Jesus Christ to be in control of your life. That's why even husbands and, and wives shouldn't try to control each other. They should encourage each other to be controlled by God's God, the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ. Amen? And by the Word of God. So I've been thinking a lot about this as well lately, this idea of, you know, it's all about control. And you've got the, you already heard the laughs back there. And this isn't about me, so please excuse any personal nature of this. It's just to prove a point when I was a little younger, I'd get together with family and friends, and this phrase would come up a lot, and we'd all laugh about it. But you know there's so much truth in it. It's all about control. Why do people seduce others into their ridiculous lives? And I'm not saying just in romance, but in every aspect of living. Why do people seduce others into their ridiculous lives? The answer? To control them, at least in part because there's something good, there's an appetite that's being fed, you see, to control them. For someone with an ungodly agenda, you know, someone who's trying to feed their own appetite, a la Romans 16, 18, the only way they can manipulate and use a person to fulfill their own selfish desires is to first separate them from the love of Christ. Tell them lies separate them from the love of christ do whatever it takes so why do you think the first mm, one of the first things that ever happens the most obvious example is romantically for whatever reason one of the first things that i see is a person stops coming to church they get a girlfriend or a boyfriend which they shouldn't even be dating in that sense in the first place but you know it goes this is people ignore everything that's good next thing you know, they're not here anymore. They're not reading their Bibles anymore because they're too tired from spending all their time with their newfound so-called love. You know, the one that actually doesn't care two bits about Jesus Christ. You know that one. The one who has no light, just darkness. You know that one. The first thing that's done is to separate them from the truth, almost physically, Right? oh, you know, if we go to to Newport and catch the sunset, we're just not going to be able to get back to your church tonight. So the first thing that manipulators do is separate individuals from the love of Christ. They do this by slowly insinuating that the grace of God isn't sufficient to keep them happy. They stop dropping hints that the grace of God isn't sufficient to keep them happy. They'll suggest over time that there are other ways. There are other ways to be happy. And that's the lie. And that God gives us leeway to be spiritual whores. That's another lie. God will understand in this case. Or maybe even physical whores, if that be the case. And all these things are complete lies from the pit of hell, meant to separate us from Christ himself. So don't focus on the graphic nature of what I just said. Focus on the end result, the big picture. Satan doesn't care what you're doing with your body. As long as it separates you from the love of Christ, he's happy. He doesn't care, necessarily, other than to use you, and neither do his agents. As we just learned, many of you are in possession of unsuspecting hearts. And in many ways, you willingly give ungodliness a place to stay in your soul. You don't just, you know, you willingly do it, because you're unsuspecting. You don't fully realize. You don't have the wisdom yet. Maybe that's a result of not learning the Word of God. Maybe that's a result of a lot of things you have neglected over the years. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But in many ways, we often willingly give ungodliness a place to stay in our souls. And once it has an outpost in your soul, it begins training up other thoughts. Thoughts that should be forever held as captive to the obedience of Christ. I'll give you a scripture up here on the board. 2 Corinthians 10.5 in the Amplified. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. That's the notion Every thought and purpose should be captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, a person is trying to fulfill their own appetite by manipulating you, by being a selfish lover, however you'd like to look at it. That doesn't work for them. Because if you're trained and your eyes are trained on Christ, you're not trained on them, and they have no power. So the first thing they need to do is start separating you from the love of Christ distracting you more and more. And this is how it happens, right? It's erosive. It's one time, once a week, then it's twice a week, then it's three times a week, then it's three times a day, and then the next thing you know it's all day every day. And your eyes are no longer trained on Christ, now they're trained on some person who's actually an enemy of Christ. All about control. It's all about control. And once they've got you controlled, doesn't matter if you're seven foot two, a linebacker, or well, a lineman for the Patriots, or whoever, you can just be pulled around like a little old chap. Again, once that outpost is given a place to stay, your enemies begin looking for defectors, that is, weak doctrines or shaky faith in your soul. And your enemies go on a recruitment sphere, or spree, excuse me, always seducing, always feeding on the weaknesses in your soul. And if you're one of the masses of so-called Christians that refuse to wash up with the word daily, you will be easily entangled once again, recruited, enslaved all over again. This is the importance of this, my friends. This is the importance of doing what you're doing right now. You have to ask yourself, maybe you don't, but I do as a shepherd. Where's everybody that's here on Sundays? I know some can't make it because of travel, but where is everybody? Honest to goodness. Like, where is everybody? And who's seducing them? Seriously, who's, got, who's seducing them? Whose who's lies, if they're not their own, are they clinging to? What do they think is actually more important than taking in the Word of God? Honestly, what's more important? And I'm not talking about, you know, un, you know unforeseeable things or something like that. I'm talking about people who willingly, you know what I'm saying, have, are consciously making choice after choice after choice, you know, one time a week, three times a week, three times a day. This is how it starts. This is how I've ever seen anybody ever leave the church even. They stop missing once, then they stop missing twice, and then they're gone. There's always some identifiable reason on the outside. Always. Always, always, always. And you know me, I'm bold enough to ask them. I really am. I ask. I say, what's going on? They, don't want to, they do not want me to ask them. They'll lie to my face and tell me it's this or that, and it's bull. I know exactly what it is, and I'm wondering if they have the uh, gumption to say what it really is. So they feed some weak, pathetic excuse why they stop, what? Taking in the Word of God? That doesn't even make sense. It does make a lot of sense when you understand the way the, our enemies work. So this is why we have been receiving the following encouragement up here on the board. And this is taking us back to where we departed a few weeks back. We need to commit ourselves to, to truth, to the Lord, that is. We need to commit ourselves, train our eyes on Jesus Christ. Because there's a whole lot of hungry people out there. Agents of Satan himself, the father of lies, with huge appetites that are trying to get your eyes off of Christ. That's the first step. They're trying to distract you. They're going to flatter you. You may even get, like, promotions at work. You may get uh, new friends. You may get new reputation. I don't know. You're going to get something because that's Satan's economy. Do you understand? What did... What's the Bible say? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits what? His soul. That's a bartering transaction that's being talked about right there. Oh, the, you can get the world and the world will offer it up to you, but you've got to give up your soul. You've got to give up pieces of you that matter the most. You've got to give up truth in your life. You've got to give up commitment to the Lord. And if anybody or anything is asking you to do that, You need to think long and hard about what decisions you've been making. And don't blame your work, and don't go quitting your job, or don't blame your spouse and go getting a divorce. This is about you. This is about right here. This is about what you're giving heed or credence to. This is about what you think about the Lord. So stop pointing fingers and saying, well, if I make this change or that change, that's garbage. That's just you trying to, in your arrogance, control a situation. Make excuses so that you can feed your own appetite. You see, that's what he's looking for. We have a jealous God, remember. He loves you with a a fervent love that you can't even comprehend. The same God came out of heaven and died on a cross. That's how much he loves you. Any questions? And all he's asking for is some reciprocation, some commitment to him. So stop frolicking around with the world. Stop being a hoe. Brr, horror. For those of you who aren't so jive. <laughs> I'm serious. Stop being a hoe. In every sense of the word. Some of you, like, really? Because you're only damaging yourselves. We need to commit ourselves to truth, to the Lord, that is. And speaking of commitment, this takes us all the way back to where we began with our past few lessons. All right, let's go all the way back. I've got some time, I've got about eight minutes, seven minutes. Um, Let's go back to our primary course of study. Up here on the board, I can't believe it, we're back finally. What the apostles lacked, we've looked at understanding, humility, and faith, and we were perched on commitment when we launched into this sort of sidebar. Uh, And then we're going to look at power. When we began this topic, we considered the simple fact that the apostles at least had enough commitment to follow Jesus. Remember Luke 5.11 up here on the board when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So we know that in terms of commitment, there was something there. They had enough commitment to drop everything and follow him. We see that, the, that three of the apostles, Peter, John, and James, who were fishermen, were committed to the Lord very early on as believers in him. So to my previous point, it's not as if the apostles lacked all commitment. For they were at least committed enough to drop their fishing business and become fishes of men. As Jesus said. They didn't know what they were doing necessarily. Not right away. But they were committed enough to the Lord. Luke 5.10 Do not fear from now on. You will be catching men. So our encouragement here. Is that as believers. We may relate to them in our own. Salvation. That we too have had enough commitment. To follow Jesus. But we too lack commitment. And that's what. That's the genesis of lessons like this, like tonight, the front end of this lesson, really. We're not perfected. We lack commitment, so we need the encouragement. We need to be reminded of what's out there. We need to be reminded of what's in here. We need to be reminded of our enemies and how, you know, I've used some pretty strong language, and we've laughed about it, maybe some of you cringe a little bit, but it's really way gr- more grotesque than anything that's come out of my mouth. I mean, these are kind words. If you, only, if you only thought real long and hard about how your enemies think about you, you are much worse than a hoe. You are way lower than anything that that word conjures up in your mind right now. Way lower to them. You are a piece of garbage, trash. Dump, think of the lowest. I don't want to get grotesque, but think of way low. You are way lower than anything that has been presented this evening. And you might say, I don't want to think that way. Then you don't want to think in the truth. You want to go back to the matrix then, don't you? Eat some steak. You don't want the truth then. That's not commitment though, is it? So we too lack commitment. Just like the apostles, we lack commitment inversely proportionate to our faith and maturity throughout our lives. All I'm saying there is that the more faith and maturity you have, the more commitment you're going to have. The less of those things you have, the the less commitment you're going to have. And so God gives grace to the humble. He gives each a measure of faith. Um, Keep on learning the Word of God. Keep on coming to class. Laugh with me. Cry with me. Do whatever it takes to keep on putting one foot in front of the other. If old man winter can do it, you can do it. Nobody? One foot in front. Nobody? Oh, man, you guys are bad. Some of you are like, that's an evil show. <laughs> it is. I apologize, kind of. So let's go back to what we, I've got a couple minutes. Let's go back to that verse we noted a couple of Sundays ago that we didn't have a chance to get back to. It's that verse where Jesus spoke to potential disciples in the presence of his apostles about commitment. Go to Luke 9.62. We'll just sort of look at this briefly and I'll close. Luke 9.62. It's a tough world we live in, guys. It's a dog-eat-dog world. I mean, that, that, the, the people on the outside, the people that don't love Christ, the people that, heck, they might even be saved and they're still struggling. They don't have your best interests in mind. That's all I'm saying. And that's me being filled with the Spirit. So just be on guard. Luke 9.62 doesn't mean, by the way, as a balance statement, doesn't mean people who love Christ can't love you and show the light because they do that too. This isn't a Debbie Downer course. This is just being honest about this particular topic. And it's got to be because of what I told you midstream that you're all under attack, whether you know it or not yet. So open your eyes. Luke 9.62, but Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, as I said before, this has always been an interesting verse because I think for many there's some danger of thinking that anyone, even believers who look back, are somehow unfit for the kingdom in the strictest sense. And I don't want you to go haywire and that's a line of thinking that produces an attack on the doctrine of eternal security for some, which is an error, of course. But for those of us who rightly divide the Word of God, the biggest question is tied to the word fit up here in the board, the Greek word "euthetos" It means suitable, fit, useful, fit because well-adapted, hence ready for use in context, uh, Luke 9.62, does not refer to salvation but to service. A believer's fitness is a function of their faith. The more faith, the more fit. So the implication, once we understand the original language, is that fitness, since it's a function of faith, is therefore a function of whatever measure of faith, Romans 12.3, God gives us in time. As we know, the principle of grace upon grace in John 1.16 means that faith is something we lack by implication even after salvation. And so it must be added unto our accounts by grace manifesting itself as maturity in a believer. The only way you're ever, let me put a net net on this. the only way you're ever going to be fit for the kingdom of God is by the grace of God. That's it. Again, look at verse 62, but Jesus said to him, "No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So focus on the word fit. It's not talking about salvation but to service. The more faith, the more fit. And let me finish this thought with a general statement, and then I'll close. Spiritual fitness. Like any form of fitness, spiritual fitness requires consistent exercise, resistance training, and a commitment to the program. Fitness is a way of life, a mindset, in every sense, both physically and spiritually. And we peak, if you want to use an athlete's term, we peak in heaven. Again, spiritual fitness, like any form of fitness, spiritual fitness requires consistent exercise. Doing what you're doing right now. Resistance training. Going out there and fighting the battle. Suffering. As a good soldier for Christ. And then commitment to the program. Saying, I'm in. I'm gonna do this thing. Yeah, you're gonna waffle, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're in. God has already changed you so you know you're in. We already went over that. You can't quit. Fitness is a way of life and what I found and you can think about this over the weekend is that when fitness people that realize that fitness is a way of life they tend to be fit in most areas of their life There's, there tends to be a consistency if you would across their lives and I'm not just talking about spiritual and physical I'm talking about spiritual physical, emotional, all kinds of aspects all the subcategories of fitness however you'd like to look at it but fitness tends to pervade people's lives. It's a mindset. It's something that I believe God gives you when he saves you. I want to be fit. I want to be fit in every sense of the word. And if I'm not fit in this area of my life, how am I going to do the work? Anybody ever been on a farm for any length of time? Not you, Sean, because I know you. If you're not physically fit to work a farm, you're not going to be able to be bent over for eight hours at a time. You're going to go like this for about 30 minutes and go... <laughs> so how are you going to put food on your table if that's all you've got, if that's the only education you've got? I'm serious. What if you get got a family and the only thing you can do is work, manual labor? What if you're unfit, but that's all you can do, and you refuse to get in shape? I don't know. I'm just talking all out. Is this like... Bothering anybody? This is, this is what we call reality, not some spiritual mumbo-gumbo. This is what we call reality, my friends. Life out there is real. Last time I checked. And if you've got this thing, you say, all I have to be is, you know, uh, I have a pair of eyes that can go like this on the Bible and memorize doctrines and words and verses and all this so other garbage system of thinking, then I'm totally fit for God's plan in my life. No, you're not. Fitness is a way of life. Fitness is a mindset in every sense. How are you going to do is under the Lord if you're not fit? That's a question to think about, isn't it? Is it not? It is. I know some of you are like, wow, I never thought about it that way. You should. You should. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for studying your Word here this evening. Thank you for always laying it on the line for us, no matter how hard it stings or what it does to our souls, Father. You're the one who turns over the stones that have been complacent in our lives. You're the one who comes directly at us and gives us the truth. May we never consider you an enemy for doing so but a friend. We ask your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.